This is a more than just podcast production. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 376 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm pleased to be joined by Martin Woodward in near Belfast, Northern Ireland. Yeah, sunny Northern Ireland. Another, sunny. Is it sunny there today? No, it's, well, it's dark at the minute. It rarely <laughs> is sunny, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's always funny. Yeah. Well, I got to go to Dublin finally. I, I have um, uh, Irish relatives. My grandmother uh, was Irish, and um, my wife's family, her mother was Irish, and uh, we finally got to go. We went to Dublin, and they're from Kerry, so we went down, you know, all the way down to Kerry and and back again. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool, but I hadn't, I've never even thought about going up to Belfast, but I guess it's something that we could eventually do at some point. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world, but the north coast of Northern Ireland is one of my, uh, one of my favourite places in the world to be. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And are you originally from Ireland or...? No, originally from um, England, and then uh, when I I met my um, girlfriend, now wife, um, when I was at university in England, and then um, sort of we we moved back here when we had kids. So yeah, it's it's a, a great part of the world to to bring up a family, and you know as long as you can earn money through the internet, then it's a great part of the world to live as well. So um, and I. I have a. I live in a field in the middle of rural Northern Ireland, but I have like gigabit fiber and things. So infrastructure out here is really good. So it's great. Yeah, as long as you got the good, uh, the good uh, internet, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much have been joking for the last twenty years. Anywhere where my laptop is is where my office is, kind of thing, right? So although I've worked for companies for periods of time, um, yeah. cool. So for for those of the people who don't probably know who you are and what you do, um, we should tell people that you're working for GitHub, but can you tell us a little bit about your role there and, and uh, we'll get into some, how you got there later. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm uh, Martin Woodward. I'm the um, VP of Developer Relations at GitHub. So that uh, sounds like a fancy title, but basically um, I help people, you know, build delightful things with GitHub and I try and um, go out and talk to lots of people, especially in the open source community who are building on top of GitHub, um, help make sure they're getting the most out of the platform and then also um, bring their feedback back into the engineering teams. Um, a large part of my job is actually helping make sure we make GitHub better for developers and that we're you know continuously improving. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do. It's a dream job, to be honest, because, you know, where else do you want to do that kind of work but at GitHub? And uh, the impact you get to have is just amazing. So, yeah, I love it. So d developer relations is a con relatively a new term. I mean, I was doing what I would call technical sales support back in the 2000s. And, and that's, I think it was very similar. I was sort of helping people understand their Macs and how to use them to do work and that kind of thing. And uh, that was pre, pre before my development days. But um, so can you sort of give our listeners a little idea what a developer relations role is and, and how you get to be one and all the kind of cool things you get to do? Yeah. Um, it is kind of newer. Um, the key thing is you don't have any quotas or anything like that. We are out there, you know, uh, purely kind of helping to educate is, is, is a large part. So helping people understand how things work. So, um, 
if you're at WWDC, all those amazing videos that they do and all the content that's created, that's created by the developer relations team at Apple, largely. Um, mm. And they're working with people um, who are in the engineering teams to find out what's being being built and, and all, how it all makes sense. And then you try and take all that raw information from the engineering teams and sort of stitch it together into something coherent for normal developers to understand and so it helps that i'm not particularly bright because if i can make if i can make it you know make sense to me then it'll make sense to most people um make the story make it make sense explain that to people and then um and then bring the information back that's the part of developer relations you tend to see which is the the role specifically within developer relations is developer advocacy um where you're where you're doing that kind of uh, where you're advocating for the needs of developers and then helping also developers understand your product so that's that's quite typical and then there are other roles within developer relations as well um so we we run programs um to, uh, so we can do this kind of work at scale you know in terms of um helping open source communities be successful talking to our top open source communities making sure they've got everything they need almost being you know like you were doing technical um sort of support with people you know um like helping make sure they were successful we do the same kind of thing for our open source people because they're not generating revenue they don't pay for github but right. they still okay. need somebody who can kind of be their account manager and kind of help them have that relationship with the business and so we fulfill that role and then we have things like our we have kind of the github stars which are our you know top people on github who are out there helping the community educating things like that um we run that program as well as a few others so yeah it's kind of there's the programmatic side that you don't really notice and then there's the the advocacy side where you go up on stage and you give talks and you do youtube videos and you come on podcasts and things like that so it's it's a mix of both um, helps to be an introvert as well as it's like a an introvert who can pretend to be an extrovert that's almost like the perfect devrel person so yeah. oh, nice yeah cool so, and so git is kind of an important thing i mean in general um yeah. for, from a version control point of view i suppose it's kind of won the day in terms of i don't know where it sits in terms of compared to other um version control tools out there but i think the majority i mean it's tied into xcode you know it's tied into vs code whatever your your tool of choice even android studio i guess um, so Git plays an important role in, in everybody's lives and whether they, they know it or not. I mean, I don't know if that every engineer is using, uh, version control specifically. Um, but I know that, uh, like a lot of, it, it drives me crazy. A lot of tutorials you watch online, they don't say, and make sure that, that Git check box is, is ticked, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a great way to keep track of, you know, if you're learning, keep track of the stages of what you're doing and that kind of stuff. So, um, can you tell a little bit about the kind of role that Git has in a developer's life, whether they're iOS or web or React or whatever. Yeah. Um, so um, source control is important, especially when you start working in a team of more than one. Um, it, I, ideally, if you were in a team of one as well, you'd be, you know, you'd be constantly doing checkpoints and versioning and making sure you can roll back. Oftentimes when we start out as lone developers, we do that by kind of, uh, taking a folder and you know uh, compressing it and then storing it somewhere else and and then bringing it back again you know so we've got checkpoints 
a version control system allows you to do that and, and make regular checkpoints over time. Um, within Xcode, um, I'm not sure if it still supports S. The end, but for a long time, um, two version control systems were supported in Xcode. It was Git or Subversion was the old one. Um, and there were two different types of version control system. Um, the vast majority, over 90% of developers now, use Git as source control. The only place where you might not be using Git as your source control system nowadays is probably in the sort of AAA gaming studio communities where you've got very, very, very high... Um, sort of binary files git isn't awesome at, at doing that at github we have some workarounds for this but um using an in called git lfs for large file support but git out of the box kind of doesn't do great with large binaries and that's why the gaming studios tend to use other things uh, but for the vast majority of developers most ios developers um git is probably the right um, version control system and then github builds a set of services for you to host and to be to store your Git version control system because Git is just an open source system that anybody can use. Right. Um, yeah. And then you can publish your repository. You can store it with GitHub. Um, and then that then allows you to very easily share that repository with anybody in the world. And it also allows you to collaborate on it. So to, to track your issues, to do your builds, and maybe automate your builds as well. So now rather than building your iOS app, um, you know, just locally in Xcode, you can actually build it on servers that we host for you. And you can even um, publish that, you know, you can do all the testing and then publish that to the app store uh, all from these servers and have all that automated. And that's kind of what the, what teams do. That's how they build that stuff. That's an interesting segue. The, the, um, I guess the the kind of CICDs the yeah yeah there. So can you talk? What's the name of the product? And and can you talk a little bit about the? Yeah, so GitHub has a service called GitHub Actions, um, and that's hosted CICD. It's hosted automation. It can actually do more than just builds. It can automate everything. Um, but um, it, typically, people use it um, when they're doing a build process. So say you would take your um ios build and you know you an xco build to build it kind of thing um you can do that on a server in the cloud um that you have instant access to that you can always run it always do it and then um you can then um you know build deploy and, and deploy out to the app store as well as test so multiple um, teams like if you're on a team with multiple engineers you know they could create a pr and then you could have it automate, automated that when the PR has been accepted, it, it does a build and then... Yeah, so exactly that. So you can, to get started, what you do as a sort of small team typically is the moment that you push your code to GitHub, then a build runs automatically, creates you a version of your um, binary, mm -hmm. and then has it available for you to you know, to put into test flight to be able to um, then get it on your app to test. Um, and so you automate that entire process. So basically, um, you know, you're constantly getting updates that you can then um, load in the test flight into your devices locally. Um, that you would do on the main branch. So the, the main, and that's the one where everybody's integrating into. Um, as you then work as a team, you typically create a feature inside of a, a feature branch um, that's that's just isolated to the thing you're doing. So maybe you're adding a high score uh, table or maybe you're adding, 
you know, sharing functionality, whatever it is that you're adding, you do that and then you get it to a point where it's good. Um, and that is now a point of review. So your entire team can now look at that change in isolation and say, hey, is this good or not? You can look at the diffs between your current feature branch and the main branch that you've currently deployed, see what's changing, and then you can do a code review on that. But as you said, Tim, as part of that, you can have an automatic build happening on that feature branch as well. Um, so then you can very easily you know, look at your unit tests, look at your UI tests, if you've done some UI testing as well, look at those results before you then decide if you want to merge that into the main branch. And then from the main branches where you do your automatic deployments out to the app store and things. So and presumably you can also tie it into like a QA system to have like an Appium or whatever. So QA can get do their things. Exactly. The QA team can pull it down. You can have it set up so, you know, you have different branches that like things get deployed to test like from or wherever or whatever you want to do to, you know, as a way of doing the QA stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's typically how it's set up um, for, for most people. At the risk of, of uh, mentioning a competitor, I guess, a, a, maybe a, a strong one, I guess, eventually, uh, Xcode Cloud. I mean, I played around with that last year where you you basically, same sort of idea, you tie your 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 builds into a cloud, uh, like a, I forget what the term is, but um, it'll come to me in a minute, lane, I guess. Um, and when you do your command B build, it goes out to Xcode Cloud, does the whole thing, and then actually publishes out to the test light store and then notifies internal testers or external testers based on how you have it set up. So how so is that something that you can do the same? Can you? I, I presume you can always. You've always been able to do that with GitHub Actions, right? You've always been able to do that with GitHub Actions, and then um, you can do that again. You can do that for iOS apps, but you can do that for all apps. So you can do that for your Mac apps. You can do that for Android, for Android for you know Windows for you know deploying to AWS, deploying to the cloud, whatever. Um, you can you can build everything within Actions, and we actually have. Um, you can bring your own runners. So if you wanted to run something on your fancy, you know, um, Macs at home, you can actually run those on your own Macs. But we provide for you a set of um, uh, Macs for you to build on. And we have, um, you know, a big sort of pool of Macs for you to go build. We, we had Intel Macs for the longest time. And then just recently, actually, we've made available... Um, um, M1 runners where, you know, so it's basic, uh, I can, we can dig into a bit more if you want, but it's, it's a whole heap of rack mounted M1s, um, and Mac minis that are in the cloud. And, you know, you as a developer, you don't care. You just say, run this on a, you know, six core, um, Apple Silicon machine for me, please. And it, it will find a spare computer for you. It will run that build, give you the results, do all the unit tests, maybe run all the UI tests for you, um, do all the compilation things, get you the binaries ready to deploy, and then it 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 throws that build server back into our pool. Then we you know we completely delete the image, re-image it, bring it back up again, and put it back into the pool for the next person to do another clean build. Um, so we kind of take care of all that for you, which is pretty neat. So I just want to interject here, just in case people were wondering, yeah. this episode is not sponsored by GitHub. I'm just curious, Martin Sorry, yeah, approached yeah. me. Yeah, I just want to make sure that, because my next question is going to be, so how can you can you explain to people like myself, GitHub Actions and, and the build system, 
are there pricing tiers? How do, how does it like I'm an independent engineer right now, but yeah. I've been on teams before, and teams are obviously interested in this. So how do how does how do you tier the the offerings? And and if I wanted to go from like an M1 to M3, can you sort of cover between GitHub Actions and and I forget what the name of the build service system is? How that works? GitHub Actions is the build system. Yeah, okay, okay. Get, yeah. So um, as you actually you all get access to a, a number of free free minutes. Um, that you can have access to, and that's enough to you know go experiment and, and play and go build things and okay. make sure it's working for you. Um, if you want access to larger, more powerful machines, if you want access to the Apple Silicon-based machines, um, there, there you um, pay per minute as a as an independent, or you can um, yeah. So you, you pay per minute is how you, how it works, and it's um, I would need to look. It's like you know fractions of a cent per minute is how it is how it kind of is built out right. and then um so yeah it's, so it's, it's it's just like any kind of cloud infrastructure i'll go grab the exact numbers for you as to what that is but that's how how it works is like a per minute billing thing but the advantage as well is you would only pay for usage so if you're you don't have to go you know but you can get access to as many build machines as you want instantly so if right. you're doing lots of builds or, or um, then that's quite good and a lot of teams love it as well because they can especially if you're doing like a cross-platform app and you're building an, an android version and uh, apple silicon version or an you know an uh, iphone version you can go do that and go in, get instant access to these machines without having to go buy all the hardware and there's no monthly commitment like you don't have to buy like, yeah. a certain number of block of time and none, then lose it if you don't use it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly cool. But we can get to the prices later. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah I'm not a sales guy, unfortunately. No, so no. You, you mentioned that earlier. Head. No quotas and all that kind of stuff, which is great. Yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to find it right now as we speak. But I'll do it, I'll, especially for the M ones. Yeah. Because the um, so the free runners that we have, um, they are um, that if you were using one of the free runners, it's a three or four core CPU, like Intel, you know, Mac mini kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, or um, And that tends to be what you get access to for free. If you want one of like the 12 core machines, so if you want a whole, you know, trash can Mac Pro, um, then I think that's 12 cents per minute or something and then yeah here it is 12 cents per minute and then and then one um which is like what a six core um but uh apple silicon that is um 16 cents per minute is what that's kind of billed at um but so we we do ios applications here at github and um we went from a like a 12 core um linux box that we had a 12 core intel box sorry it was a 12 core mac os box of course it was um so the mac you know a big trash can mac pro um we went from that to a six core m1 runner and our build times dropped from i think it was 42 minutes was what we originally were built that's what our, our build time was and then it dropped to 23 minutes mm. and so just going to that apple silicon um hugely increased the overall build time right what was fascinating when we did that though like build compilation was like 50 51 faster um the but the unit tests actually stayed about the same 
Um, and I think that's a lot to do with kind of, you know, poor compilation is faster on the um, Apple Silicon machines. But then with unit tests, because they're paralyzed, the, advan the, the advantages of having those extra cores on that 12-core machine kind of caught you up. But then we've all, we do a lot of automated UI testing, you know, where we're where we're taking screenshots and then we do, you know, pixel per pixel comparisons with where what our UI looks like now to see how we changed when we were when we were building the application. And those automated UI tests, I think they were like 55% faster on Mac runners. So it depends on the workload is how much faster it is. But as you know yourself, the difference between those the Apple Silicon and the Intel Silicon running Mac OS is it's always interesting what's faster and what's not. Yeah, it also depends on how quickly you want to turn your 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 PR around too, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. I worked on large teams where where sometimes you're waiting an hour for for a build. It's it's not fun, you know, on an old Jenkins machine, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's two 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 questions that come to my mind. One one is you don't necessarily have. To, are they all building on like if I'm doing web or or something outside of um, the iOS Apple ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, are there other build systems like you mentioned? Yeah, Linux. there's a yeah. Linux box you can just build on like an Ubuntu server. And, you know, right. um, again, there's a huge amount of free minutes you get with on the Linux builds. And then again, you can pay per minute to get a Linux build and you can, um, they, they scale up to massive machines as well, if you want. But for the average web build, a two or four core machine just works fine for you and you just go build your website deploy it um to the cloud somewhere and off you go and uh, and a lot of times that's what we're doing is we're building our applications for ios or for android or whatever we build those and then we're also building the the back-end service that these applications are talking to um, and then that's being deployed out to the cloud whether that's aws gcp you know azure whatever it is so like you're deploying that backend service to something and mm. a system like GitHub allows you to put all of that into one place. And then you have a separate repo, usually for your iOS application, a separate repo for your Android application, some stuff for your shared logic, a separate repo for some of your services. And they all build and deploy as they get changed and then ship out and, you know, and you can compare the differences between them. So that's then, how is there a dashboard you can use to configure yeah. all this stuff and, and get sort of metrics on how performance is going and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. You get all the all those, you know, views of deployments and things. Configuration is always done as code. So it's it's a YAML, yet another YAML file right. um, where you configure. And that's stored alongside of your code. And that's that's very deliberately done that way um, inside of the Git repository. So that's so you have repeatable builds. So if you go back in time and you want to build something you did two years ago, you know that your build process is also the same version as it was you were building two years ago. You know, so that's why we that's why we store the configuration as source can you know as YAML source. And of course, it's version controlled, right? <laughs> version controlled in Git alongside your code. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, everything everything is stored in a Git repo. So so the upcoming uh, interesting device is the Vision Vision Pro and, and Vision OS and I've I've done a I've mm. done some writing on Vision OS and doing some working on some stuff right now but um recently and I don't know if this is true in 15.2 which just came out a couple of days ago um Xcode 15.2 that is um w w all of a sudden we weren't able to use the uh, the iOS simulator on an Intel Mac I have both Mac and M1 here Right 
Um, I'm curious. So if I was, does it matter if somebody's building a Vision OS project, if it runs on an Intel machine for the build server? Do you know? I have no idea. I haven't built a Vision OS app. I haven't tried that one. So yeah. Um, but that's pro that feels like that's going to be an instance where you need to use the um, Apple Silicon because they have the GPUs enabled by mm. uh, by default. Um, right. And so, and how many? I think on those maps, it's like an eight core GPU, isn't it? So uh, I imagine that's why for all of the the magic stuff that they're doing. But I personally haven't done that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a, just a, one of the questions that came to my mind. Um, yeah. So. Just recently, I mean, um, I unfortunately I'm, I have the time right now, so I was able to enter and uh, attend the GitHub Universe conference uh, a couple cool. weeks ago online. Um, and one of the interesting things that they talked about, and I've heard about a bit of buzz about, and of course, uh, um, uh, we were talking a little bit, a bit about AI earlier. Yeah. Um, GitHub Copilot. So, can you yeah. talk a little bit about what GitHub Copilot is and how it how it could help us? So um, GitHub Copilot is an is an AI coding assistant uh, for you as a developer. So it, it sits alongside you, acting as a as a copilot. So you're, you're always in control, um, sort of suggesting uh, code changes as you go. You know, it kind of has like ghost text and allows you to suggest that as, as you're going along. And then it also has a kind of chat-based interface as well, where you can ask it coding type questions. So, you know, how would I do this um, in Swift or whatever, or how would I go write one of these things? And it can give you examples and can, um, you know, use the power of um, uh, sort of its different models in the back end to to give you those answers. Um, we see that typically um, it, it varies in different languages and things, but typically developers um, they're able to write code. I think it's like over fifty percent faster, fifty five percent faster um, using Copilot, kind of helping them. And it really helps you with a lot of kind of like that boilerplate text and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's been it's, um, been pretty amazing, and and we launched that um, we launched that a year ago, and then we just added we previewed in March the chat based capabilities, and then um, sometime towards the, you know later on this month, and we're recording in December, so towards the end of December, um, we're also going to be making available um, the the chat based capabilities. That's in preview right now and they'll be more generally available so you can ask those questions so um yeah it's uh it's good and there's lots of excitement around it that's for sure it's um is it just to dig in a bit is is that sitting yeah. on top of like g uh, chat gpt kind of thing I, I think i read yesterday that it's using chat gp4 version 4 yeah what well, so um it uses um this it actually there's a whole interesting conversation here to, to be yeah. talk about like right size models and things. Sure. Um, the way that it works is um, code completion. So when you're typing inside of an editor, you want answers back super quick. Right. Um, you want very, very quick answers. And we're actually sending a prompt every time you type a keystroke. And then we cancel that out if you keep typing. But otherwise, we, re we, respond, we respond back to you in about 200 milliseconds. 
That uses um, the GPT-35 turbo model, and that's hosted. That's in uh, we host those models inside of um, Azure's OpenAI service. Um, Azure, um, so we host those, and then we send the connections through into Chat GP. In, sorry, into GPT-35, the model there, and then we get the results back. And then for chat-based questions, they go via GPT-4 um, because GPT-4 um, it's a lot bigger prompt window the responses are um you know it can provide you with a lot more kind of context because it's not just doing one or two lines it's doing like whole answering whole questions for you but the response window for those if you're having a chat conversation you're happy to wait a second or two for an answer and so um, we route those uh, to, to gpt4 today um, the advantage of using something like Copilot is that we're constantly looking at the best models and constantly kind of updating which models we point to for the different queries. And so you just use Copilot and then kind of the back end models that it's using are um, invisible to you. And then the other thing that's different about, say, just going out to, you know, OpenAI's ChatGPT service um it when it's asking the question the prompt that you're giving the model isn't just the question you're asking so how do i do a sort loop in swift or whatever um it it's not just sending that question it sends context around your editor so it sends your current code um that you in your open editor window and it sends like which tabs you have open what what's the extension of the file you're using so am i am i you know typing in swift am i in um you know rust or or, or javascript or whatever um sends that along and then it, it, it tunes your answer based on those questions so that way you get code responses that are related to the rest of the code you have around you um, and so that's why that improves the acceptance rate in terms of um you know the code substitutions and that's how it's allowed to that's, a, that's how it makes it more accurate by by kind of giving it more prompt giving it more context sure and so i guess there's a question of recency too in that that i mean how, i've worked with the open ai version of chat gpt yeah. and one of the challenges that I, we found is that there's a certain point in time where the model has learned up to so how does like does does Get Copilot learn from like if another more experienced developer is working away. Does it does it learn from what that person's writing? Um, like if I ask it a question about async await and maybe async await just came out this year, it, yeah. and I think the the model the OpenAI model stopped learning a couple of years ago. Um, is there is there any problem with stuff that's like the latest version of things? Yeah. So. Um... We are using the same, uh, the underpinning is the same GPT-4 model. Mm -hmm. But then, as I mentioned, we can provide it with additional context as part right. of the prompt that we're passing in. So we're able to, um, today, we're able, we pass it in the prompts of codes that, that's around you. And so if somebody has examples in your code base that are using the patterns the way you want it, then we'll find that. Now, in the future, what we're what we announced as well at um, GitHub Universe is um, I think called GitHub Copilot Enterprise, right. and that has in it um, a, a way of looking up 
questions that take additional context and so not just what you have in your editor but also what's around you and what it knows about the world and so that can send into the large language model a prompt that contains additional information that's able to obtain you know inside of your code base and then also looking around at some popular open source libraries and things so um it would be really interesting to try it with some of the latest features uh you know, and sort of see what results we're getting back with, you know, say um, the await stuff and see how that goes. Um, but we, what we tend to do is look at, from our side, um, what we're very not doing is, um, especially for co-pilot business or co-pilot enterprise, we are not training our model on your stuff. Right, um, okay, yeah. Be very very explicitly because it's it's your code right you know uh, um so your all code so it's the model uh with data from that you're sending it about your code giving you back answers uh, what it's not doing is we don't retrain that model based on your code because you don't want to you know then you would give your amazing ip away to other people that's not that's not what we want to do um so it's the, just the smarts it's learned from you know from looking around and then adding into the context of what you've passed it so that leads to another question i i recently came from finance where i worked for a large canadian bank here and one of the things we weren't allowed to do was we weren't allowed to use online services we didn't have iCloud we couldn't use any sort of cloud-based service in fact our um our repos are like enterprise hosts like they're, they're i forget what the term for it is self-hosted or something like that uh, mm -hmm. but so how do you how do you deal with large enterprise companies that that for, for that same reason like ip and things like that um are you able to host people like that and 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 guarantee that their code is safe within your stores yeah um yeah um <laughs> interestingly um some of the financial institutions and some, you know, some people like that. Um, Mercado Libre is an example of a, you know, bank that's sort of in very publicly uh, talked about their usage of it. But you've also got companies like Accenture or Infosys as well, where IP is a core part of their business that are also using Copilot. Um, where they're able to use it because we have this service called Copilot Business as well as, you know, the upcoming um, Copilot Enterprise. And we we do a few things that kind of help their compliance people. Um, there's there's actually a, there's a thing called the Copilot Trust Center where they go to like look this all this stuff up and go send it to their compliance officers. But basically, um, we have a we have the ability to be able to. I'm sorry, no, I, 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 <laughs> yeah. we have the ability to. Um, a make sure the you know we uh, we we say and we show we guarantee that it's um, your questions are being isolated so we're not training based on your data uh, and all that sort of stuff. The when you actually send us the prompt, interestingly, we take that prompt, we we do some intent analysis on it first to make sure we're asking you're asking us a coding question. We then send it to the appropriate model based on what type of question it is. Um, we actually send it to that model up to 10 times, believe it or not, and get back a bunch of results. And then we run another model over those results to see which is the most likely to be secure, which is most likely to be, um, you know, good and compile and things. And then we send you back the results that we believe are good. Um, and then and then you can, you know, you pick the right one that you want. Um, and we also do some filtering where we, where, again, with Copilot, 
for business. We're comparing the answers that are generated and making sure that um, the code that got generated by the model is unique code and it's not, not anybody else's code kind of thing. It's unique to you and mm. give you those results. So for somebody like a bank, interestingly, um, by enabling, by, by switching on something like a copilot for business, it, it, it means that they have control of the policies as to the code that's being generated and the code that the developers get. And so it kind of, they get control over it that way. Um, and so they, and it's protected and it's isolated and all that sort of stuff. Because after we get that response back and we send them results, we actually throw away those queries. We don't we don't keep that data. Um, so they're happy from a compliance point of view. And then the more pragmatic, sensible banks also realize that by enabling this kind of tooling, they get they give all the this power to their developers in a compliant way. And that stops their developers from opening up chat GPT on a phone or in a window and right. doing something, you know, because you always developers are clever. They they route around failure. That's literally our job. And so if you put too many obstacles in their way, they're gonna go out and like route around them. Um and I remember when I first started, I had a real job before I worked at GitHub and you know you'd go out. I remember working in places where you couldn't go to search engines and couldn't use the internet. And so we quickly routed around those things. Banks also realize that people will do that, which is why they then go and, you know, use something like Copilot for Business so they know it's compliant. Mm, yeah. So coming back to the to the um, access for hobbyists versus yeah. business enterprise. So, again, yeah. this this Copilot is available to the average Joe to, to use as well. Yeah, exactly. There's, again, I'm not, not a sales guy, but the, the co-pilot for individuals, the the average, you know, is just a, a you know a normal developer kind of thing, doing doing things. That's like 10 bucks a month per user. Um, and then co-pilot for business is, is 19 bucks uh, per, you know, per user kind of thing. And then the co-pilot um, for enterprises is, a, is, is $39 per user. Um, and then we also give Copilot for individuals away for free to um, maintainers of the popular, of the, like the most popular open source libraries. They get access to Copilot for free because we GitHub. You know, we want to make sure the open source community is well supported. And importantly, and something that I'm very, very proud of, is we actually give Copilot for free to educators and to students. Um, who are you know verified and signed up for our service because it's important that this next generation of engineers that are coming up and learning how to use these tools it's important that they learn how to use them um, correctly learn when not to use them and learn when to use them and um, so that's why um, yeah very proud that we're actually um, give it for free to students, but we also give it away to to their teachers as well, so they can learn how to teach computer science now in a world where you have AI coding assistants that can that can answer all of the leak coding questions. Like they can just answer those. And so, how do you educate people, and how do you test their level of knowledge in that world? Um, and it requires a different, a slightly different mindset. And so, yeah, so we we, we give people access to it so they can figure that out. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that means that lead code questions are going to come away from the interview process because that's <laughs> that's side of a sidebar. <laughs> I, I I have um, yeah, I'm VP of DevRel at Guild, which is like you know, okay job. I have never ever in my entire life passed a lead, lead coding oh, job interview. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah. anyway, here we go. 
I'm completely self-taught too. So, I mean, I, yeah. I shudder, shudder at the thought, you know. Yeah, um, I always have like, uh, yeah, I had a deg- I've got a degree in physics, you know. I, I'm like, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't like to say self-taught because I, le- I definitely learned from reading lots of other materials and blogs and things like that. And but a lot of, well, I learned from books mostly because I'm old. But the... Um, I got books behind uh, me. Yeah, exactly. But I've always, like, you know, those leak coding things, always optimized for people who've done like comp sci you know data structure classes and all that sort of stuff and i've i have never done any of that i've just written an awful lot of code in my life and so yeah, yeah. It's, it's a different kind of skill sets yeah it's yeah i mean we, we we're not we don't want to go down the rabbit hole of, of yeah use these days but so you, you did mention a little bit about about how you got to where you are and uh that's always a fascinating thing i know we spend a lot of time talking about github technology but so why don't we why don't we circle back and and sort of find out from you your sort of origin story like so how did you let's let's start with you know your first exposures to computers and how did you get into doing what you're doing yeah, so my first computer was a Commodore VIC twenty, um, and so my first kind of coding was was quite low level um, and typing, you know, typing stuff in from magazines. We didn't really have um, Apple twos as much over in the UK. They didn't really. Um, our education sector was around this thing called like a BBC Micro, was what we had commonly over here, rather than Apple twos and things. So, but it was that kind of era, you know, of computing with tape decks and all that sort of stuff. So I got into computing that way. Um, I also love electronics and kind of tinkering with electronics. And that's how I kind of learned IT was was from the transistor up kind of thing. Um, and, and and again, because I grew up in, I was you know born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s and 90s. And so I've never had to, I've never had to, learn, I don't know how kids do it now because I've never had to learn that much. I've always, it's always, I've always been able to follow along with the industry and just keep, keep up and keep incrementally learning the next thing. Um, and so that's kind of helped. And then, yeah, when I left, I did a degree in physics, I was going to go be a physics teacher um, and then kind of looked at the physics teacher's salaries and looked at the starting <laughs> salaries for IT. And I was like, hey, why don't I try this this IT thing I've been doing since I was six? Why don't I actually try that for a job? And so, um, you know, got a job and did consulting, did all the usual stuff. Actually, my first job was on the mainframe, believe it or not, doing solving year 2000 bugs. And then um, did a bunch of stuff, websites and what have you. Um, then um, did a startup uh, where I was building the Mac tooling and the um, Eclipse and Java tooling for a Microsoft product mm-hmm. um, in a version control space. Did that and then um, as a partner of Microsoft's, figuring this will be safe because Microsoft are never going to want to do anything with Macs, never going to want to do anything in the Java space kind of thing. Um, but this was just as Microsoft started to change as a company and got a lot more open. And then um, they ended up buying that like five-person st- startup that we had that was involved in open source. And I went went over to Microsoft and um, helped them kind of open source a bunch of stuff. So um, I created the GitHub account for Microsoft, believe it or not, back in the day in 2014. It was off my credit card for a little while. And then um, did help them open source a thing called .NET and get that running on the Mac and get that running cross-platform. And then, yeah, then when when GitHub came up as um, um, I was already closely involved, you know, from my relationship with 
them. And so I was involved in um, the acquisition and then came over after Microsoft had acquired GitHub. And um, I feel at home now because uh, GitHub culture definitely very aligns with where I was the oddball at Microsoft because I was kind of the open source Mac kind of Java-y guy sat in the field in the middle of Ireland, you know? And then um, right. so at GitHub... I'm just normal because everybody's remote there. Everybody's kind of got that kind of distant thing. Whereas uh, at Microsoft, where a lot of people are based in offices in say Seattle, in Seattle or something, I was kind of a little bit odd. But um, but I'd, I'd made my way in through acquisitions, so they kind of let me stay in my field. So that was quite nice. Yeah, that's nice. I mean, I, I do know. I mean, I've, I've talked to um, people, iOS teams at at Microsoft in the past, like. Microsoft and I'm I'm an Apple guy through and through, like way back from the eighties. So um for a long time Microsoft was sort of a bad word in my mind. <laughs> but uh but I mean that but I always like to point out to people that Microsoft Word and Excel started on the Mac as well, right? So Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean there's pictures of Bill Gates with Steve Jobs back in the early days, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um and there's that infamous keynote as well where Bill Gates came up on screen and things and everyone was booing and stuff. So yeah, it's uh it's a different time now. Yeah, and but there's also there's also I guess the the I mean I mean maybe the old guard of, of people like myself who you know see Microsoft acquiring GitHub and thinking oh mm. go and then we see them acquiring or getting involved in OpenAI yeah and, you know so um, but I, I it's interesting to see that that Microsoft is kind of resurging in the sense that from that point of view in terms of in terms of the where they're going where the, I mean you know the we joke about the Microsoft phone back in the day, the Windows phone, and mm-hmm. you know, and the Zune, of course, you know. But there's, but then yeah. Apple has its own series of road apples as well as we call them, right? Products. Yeah, products. well, you know, the Apple socks and things, and the Apple Hi-Fi and all that sort of stuff. But I think what's been fascinating is that they haven't tried to mess with GitHub. You know, that they've kept it. Like they've, they, they understood what was unique about GitHub and the community around GitHub, and very deliberately left that alone and supported it with resources sure you know i think things like copilot and some of the actions stuff as well would not have happened without the resources that microsoft are able to bring to bear but let the community be leave the community keep what's unique about github and just let that stay isolated from the rest of microsoft and that's that's you know the the culture's um of github is you know very similar to what it was pre-acquisition kind of thing and so that's one of the things that i just love about working here um you know and, and that kind of stuff but as you said um there's lots of ios development that happens at, at microsoft oh, funny enough one of the teams i was involved in in the early days was um uh you know what became dotnet core building out a, a lot of the mac you know machines and and all that sort of stuff so um even you know i, I used to rock up in the windows building with my um with my macbook kind of thing and wondered why people were looking at me a bit strange but uh <laughs> but even then i was still able to work perfectly fine you know it, it worked worked just great over there so yeah it's good but i'm happier here now I, I do like it here yeah so so we talked we talked about microsoft let's talk about apple what, what do you think i always like to ask people um in terms of where the puck is going, like, what do you think about what Apple's been doing these days in terms of their hardware and the the promise of the Vision OS and spatial computing? And how do you think Apple's doing? Um, the the Apple Silicon is just absolutely mind blowing, isn't it? You know, yeah. Like 
yeah the 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 power of that hardware um and the fact that you know you've got so many gpus on that chip as well and from a from my side you know the power of what those gpus are able to do in terms of machine learning workloads on the client um is just phenomenal uh, as well as you know some of the stuff with with vision os and things like that i personally am probably um less involved in some of the vision os side although um of the kind of augmented reality um frameworks and things like the apple stuff works far better than anything i've ever seen in my life like it actually is usable um and as a developer it's like oh okay this i can see how this can work um but i'm probably still i don't know i haven't personally had the um uh the the oh wow yeah definitely kind of moment <clears throat> yet with, with something like copilot you know like using ai technology for coding i was incredibly skeptical because i was like oh yeah yeah buzzword buzzword whatever and then started to use it as and then i was oh this actually works um and, and probably because i'm you know we were saying like i'm self-taught i know how to code but i don't always know how to code in every single language like i you know i know a bit of .NET, i know a bit of java i know a bit of python i don't know a lot of swift you know um all those ns prefix things always used to put me off when i was doing you know old school mac development um but i knew how to code and so using a tool like copilot is amazing for me because i can tell it kind of what i want to do because i can understand programmatic thinking and it works great i haven't had yet had that moment with um uh with the vision os stuff where it's like oh this is solving a problem i've got and doing it in a way that only it could do and this is a, a you know a unique amazing thing for me so we'll see yeah I, and my advice to anybody who's thinking about it is if you have a chance to go to the developer lab do it i mean i went in august and and i not like to talk about much about it right now but but yeah, it was my life has changed because of it. Right, really, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, same thing with the the iPhone was a was another turning point, and the yeah. Mac in general was another turning point for me. But yeah, I think Vision OS and spatial computing is going to be some something else that that you know really? once people really experience it, they'll they'll get they'll get it. Right, I think that's it, isn't it? I think again, it's again like with Copilot, you're skeptical until you've tried it. I think you actually have to use it. I think, oh, I see. You know, same with the. I think it was the same with the iPad, actually. I remember seeing the iPad launch. I was like, nah, I've used tablet computers. Like, I don't get it. And then when you actually use it, you're like, oh, okay, this is, I see why I want one of these. So, yeah, I came yeah. from print and publishing. So, you know, large format was sort of our, yeah. our thing, right? And and so the iPad was what got me into, into development um, because iOS development specifically, because I had a client who wanted to be on the iPad right from the get-go. So... You know, and happily, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, iPad is, it, for the longest time, the iPad was my favorite uh, platform to work on, on, on yeah. in all of these things from Apple. Um, but I just want to take a quick sidebar here, because yeah. for, for the audience that are wondering, like, so um, I don't know if many developers know this, so this is a little bit of soapbox for me, but um, sometimes when I'm working in Xcode, I get stuck, I, op I might open up BB Edit, and I'll work on, I'll do a diff in BB Edit, because you can do a nice, mm. it has a nicer tool there. I'm trying to figure out where I went wrong, where I where did I miss that common or the the comma or the colon or the close brace. Um, I can sometimes figure those things out 
using BB Edit, but I also sometimes open up VS Code to, mm-hmm. to work. I do web work in VS Code. I do some plugin widgets, that kind of stuff. I'll do that there. And I and you can work in uh, Swift and and other languages in VS Code as well as yeah. Docker and Dart and all that stuff. You can, if you're doing Flutter, Flutter, you might do it in 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 VS Code. And the demos I've seen of of Copilot are running in VS Code. Yeah. So I just want to point out that I did find the other day because I was curious. I went, okay, how does this interface with Xcode? Is the question that I think everybody that that everybody yeah. listening may be begging. And uh, what I found was that there's a gentleman who's made a third party plugin that uh, allows GitHub Copilot to work in Xcode. So I don't know if you're familiar with how someone would do that, but I just wanted to point that out to the audience in case they're wondering. Yeah, those APIs are not public yet, and so it's not. Um, I can't guarantee um, how it's going to stay working, but um, yeah, I've definitely been impressed by that particular plugin. Um, and then onto the your other point there about like jump. You know, if you need to jump in to kind of um, you know do, do some Swift development, a top hack that I bet like less than twenty percent of the audience know. If you're in a GitHub repo, if you press the period key or, you know, like full stop to somebody here in the UK, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it opens up VS Code in the browser on your repo. Uh, really? And so if you, yeah, oh yeah. So if you wanted to do, or if you're in a pull request and you want to, like, you're in the middle and you want to, like, edit some files and get, like, a multi file view and do some Swift development with all the color coding and all the syntax highlighting and all that sort of stuff, just press, just press period and it, and boom, you're, you're, you're in a you're in a full editor with your Git repo, and then we actually even have the ability to run what's called a code space, where you get like a Linux-based container with all the back end and all of like your server-side frameworks and things like that if you want as well. But if you just if you just want to do some simple file editing, you don't have VS Code installed, or you're you're on an iPad, just press that period key and and you can edit away. It's it's pretty astounding. So yeah, yeah that's brilliant. That's our that's our LinkedIn. Uh clip right there <laughs> <laughs> there we go <laughs> let's tune in later folks for that one um cool um so I, i'd like to switch gears and, and get into sort yeah. of the the other part of the show which i talked about which is which is the the questions yeah um, and this is just between you and me and and the rest of the world i guess okay. um the it's based on the questionnaire by marcel proust but i've I sprinkled it in with a little bit of stephen colbert's uh questions oh which are kind of fun right so um, we get to get to learn a bit, a little bit more about Martin um, beyond the uh, beyond the GitHub stuff. So, beyond the nerdy stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so the first question, obviously, is this is from Marcel Proust. Is what is your motto? What's your sort of elevator pitch? Um, I very much depends, doesn't it, on the mood you're in. So, I would like to think it's be kind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have one at work sometimes I use, and that's uh, which never waste a good crisis. Because mm. um, crises are when, like you know, those moments of time are when, when, when crazy things can happen. When you can innovate really, really quickly. So yeah, a com- a, somewhere, a mix between be kind and then when there is stuff that happens, never waste it. Yeah, it's it's good. My my Irish mother in law used to say, uh, "Experience is what you get right after you needed it." <laughs> Very yeah, indeed. yeah no it's, it's t- definitely i mean that's how that's how we learn everything from from it is but you'd be amazed at like the amount of you know this stuff that can't happen and yet when 
that's what was really interesting about what we just went through, you know, in the world and things and all these, you were talking about banks and stuff earlier, all these, all these banks that couldn't move to the cloud, well, magically they could as soon as COVID happened or they couldn't support remote working. Well, now they can, you know, and similarly at work when there's, when there's change, when there's reorganization, you know, I manage a reasonably large team and that's one of the things I always say, you don't waste a good crisis. If like, let's, what, how can we, how can we take advantage of this and do things differently? So, yeah. So, um, this may you may maybe an easy question for you, but what is your favorite occupation? Favorite occupation, like favorite job or favorite thing to do? But yeah, it's a great good good twist on that question. Take it every take it wherever you want. Um, I like making things that because I spend my life making things in computers, so making things in three D are always pleasurable to me. And so we 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 um so like things like three uh, D printing or like running a running a maker space or something like that. I think that would be um yeah, running a maker space would be my favorite occupation because then I could combine my love of like talking to people and community with building things, with with helping people to build things. I think that would be good. Well you were telling me about the Octocat behind you there. Earlier. So I have a yeah I have behind me um, I have a, a 3D printed um, uh, light which is which is all open source the uh, I can give you a link for the show notes for the repo where it's sure. all there or you can go to one of the sites but it's basically three I've actually got one that I'm building for a friend for Christmas it's sort of three uh, components that are 3D printed and then you have a little LEDs and you just assemble it uh, it runs open source framework called WLED, uh, which it runs it on an embedded device, and then you can have your own programmatic light that does fancy displays and all that sort of stuff, USB powered. Well, cool. Yeah, so you can you can program the pattern. My wife my wife totally wants one of those because she's she and the granddaughter are, are constantly playing with electronics. I think there you go. I'll send you a link to the repo. And they can go build one. It'd be a nice little project to do over the holidays as well. Yeah, I don't know if you saw last year. There was like a Christmas tree light that came out where you could you could right. put it on the tree and you could program it to do animation. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, same you can idea. do that. You could do that with this open source framework as well. Um, it uses the same LEDs, like uh, they're, they're individually addressable RGB LEDs. Um, but you could just buy them in a strip from you know Amazon or Alibaba or whatever AliExpress, and you know they're, they're super cheap. Um, and if you, so, you can build it in a in a light like that and do whatever you want. Yeah, it's good. And it's a G-printed model, you know, so that's good. So apologies to the people listening to the show, but we're both makers. So now we're just going to geek out for a minute. But so okay. you, so you uh, looked at, looking at the size of the print you got there, like I've got an Ender 3, right? So yep. what's the size of your printer? Is it much bigger? Or? It's an Ender 3. It's a very deliberately, I, I it is deliberately sized to fit on the Ender 3 print bed. Um, which is a 22 by 22, is it something like that, print bed size. Um, it doesn't fit on the Prusa Mini, but you can shrink it down to like 18 centimeters, which fits on the Prusa Mini. Um, sorry, I'm doing it in metric. I don't know what, I don't no, know I was what it is. Say, yeah, 22 is, is centimeters for those. Yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not 22 inches. That's the monster. <laughs> well, yeah, no. Um, so no, it, it fits on the end of three because that's exactly what I printed these on. Now, I'm very jealous of the people that own like these... Um, bamboo X1Cs with all the fancy things because I think it takes like 17 hours to print on the Ender 3, mm -hmm. whereas I'm pretty sure they can print it in like four hours or something. Really? Like that. Wow. So, yeah, it's ridiculous how fast they are. And then the quality of those prints are amazing as well. So I have a, 
Yeah, I thought ahead. the speed was based on the, the the time it takes to melt the PLA. Is that not the issue? No. So they, well, so here we go. I'm going. How long have you got? So the end of the uh, they use. Um, so it is, but you know, melting PLA is easy. You just heat their head up a bit more. Um, what what is the accuracy of the XY and XY steppers? You know, when it's zooming around, um, and on the end of three, it's what's called a bed slinger, and so it's it's moving the thing, whereas it's moving the head. But then what they also do, which is just ridiculously amazing, and some of the modern printers can do this. Um, before they start the print, they shake the head really, really quickly and find like the resonant frequencies and stuff. And then they have um, software which compensates for that. And so then mm. when it's running the head really, really fast, so you don't get lines and so it's super accurate, it actually compensates for the vibrations that happen at the different speeds of the print head um, and kind of takes that momentum out. I always thought it was used in an accelerometer or something but i don't you know like from uh, from the phone but i don't think it is it, it's doing it mathematically so yeah it's amazing but it is ridiculously fast when you when you watch wow. it print it looks like it's a time lapse it's uh it, yeah so that's the way to go oh, that's amazing yeah no i've got i've got some prints lined up that are you know, i mean the maltese falcon behind me was probably like a two-day print and the venus de milo was a two-day print you know like yeah no it can print so fast it's quite quite a bit good print volume and if you if you're in the market for a bamboo x1c if you get the amc thing on the top so it's got a filament swapper and mm -hmm. it's ridiculously good as well like uh, this is what i'm craving at the minute in all these and um it can change the filaments for you and so yeah, if you want to do colors for those of you driving yeah. out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. if you want to if you want to change colors or if you want to even change materials um it's able to do that midway through the print and do that whole tricky bit about lining things up or if you've got lots of uh, print, lots of filament of the same color, um, so you don't run out of filament, it can actually switch uh, a reel of, of of PLA midway through a print. So yeah, it's uh, this is the, and as well as selling, uh, as well as talking about GitHub. Here we go. I'm, I'm selling bamboo carbons, but never mind. Yeah, who are not a sponsor of this show? No, um, no, exactly. Yeah, so um, or unless they want to be, you know, they can always sponsor. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, so, what's the best sandwich? Oh, so you probably want like in in the UK, you could either have a chip butty, which is like some chips, some fries in a sandwich with butter. That's great. Wow. Or it's like a sausage, sausage and bacon sandwich would be good. I think in America, I think probably the best sandwich for me in America is a club sandwich, but with no egg. I, I don't like egg. So I, I hate I don't I hate all American breakfast because I'm not a big fan of sugar and I'm not a big fan of eggs. And that basically seems to be what breakfast is in America. Everything else about America is amazing and wonderful and brilliant apart from breakfast. So me, in Canada, so. we don't put egg on our club sandwich. Oh, there you go then. You, I'm having a Canadian club sandwich because your bacon's better than American bacon. Oh, that's true, yeah. Well, actually, there's, yeah. there's actually a, a company called uh, um, Mr. Sub up here that they have a Canadian sub and it's basically, it's it's like a, a BLT. It's got lettuce and tomato um, and bacon, like the Canadian bacon, which which is really nice. Canadian that's club sold. Bacon. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Cool. Uh, flat or sparkling? Um sparkling mostly but that's when i'm being fancy i do like a night yeah so if, I, if, if it's if it's over dinner and i'm like trying to slow drinking down then a sparkling wine a sparkling water yeah nice nice okay good um what's your most treasured possession uh i'm just gonna move my camera now which is gonna be bad but for the people who are listening you can't see it but back here yeah. um 
I have a piece that's a piece of the original internet. So that is a piece of the 1858 Atlantic Telegraph cable that ran between um, New York and um, Ireland and then hooked into the UK. And so that was uh, laid down and um, uh, yeah, connected the two continents. It connected it briefly because mm-hmm. um, they didn't quite know how electricity worked back then. And, um, you know, it was an Englishman talking to an American. And as all Englishmen do when they're talking to foreigners, if they can't quite communicate, they just shout louder. And so the person operating the cable ended up putting thousands of volts through it and blew up the wire because um, that's how it works. So then after the Civil War, they then rebuilt the connection in like the you know 1860s. But I've got the 18, I've got a copy, I've got you know, an, an actual piece of that 1858 cable when they ran it um it landed in newfoundland and then they took the spare cable down and tiffany's cut it up into little segments and put a little thing around it and sold them and i managed to get a copy of, uh, i managed so to you get said it was the that. internet like so so this is well the the, the the telegraph is the original victorian internet in my oh, mind it was the original because it was the first time we were able to communicate the speed of light right, around the right. world um, and and that was if you think we live in interesting times now like that was a massive change back then oh for sure and yeah. also telegraph operators they had tech speak as well and so if you're a te- like they had um if you, they had the equivalent of lol it was actually the morse code for ha so ha but that was that was them laughing when they were talking to each other the telegraph operators used to be on a big party line when they were talking mm-hmm. to each other and they could all like chat and listen in it was also one of the, an occupation that was acceptable for women to have as well and so it was a good way of um uh, you know women to earn an income outside of the home as well so it's one of the first kind of professional jobs there so hey, hey tell that it, it revolutionized things in my mind well that, that's it's almost like an IT crowd joke, you know, you know, Jennifer or Janet and Jennifer, is it? Yeah. Here's the internet, right? <laughs> In a box with a blinky light. Yeah, don't break it. Don't break it. Yeah, we'll let you, the, the, Lord, the gods let us borrow, let you borrow it. Yeah. Um. All right. What's the scariest animal? A goat. A goat? I hate goats. Really? It, well, I hate goats. They got like, their eyes are all evil and like evil looking. So I used to have, I used to, I grew up in the countryside and I used to go like um, you make dens and things with my friend, you know, and do stuff. And there was always this one goat that would sit on a hill and like just come and stare at us kind of thing. So I think it's probably a, a me thing. But yeah, don't like goats. So I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite action movie? Uh, oh. Hunt for Red October, I do oh, like that. Point. Or maybe yeah. Enemy of the State, that's quite a good one. The Bourne movies are good as well. A movie's a movie when you're retasking a satellite, isn't it? So that's that's where you get a proper movie. So Yeah. Yeah, I think I think yeah, the the um the the one with Will Will Smith that you just mentioned. Um Enemy of the State with Gene, Enemy of the State. Yeah, that was, that was sort of the first um yeah, the internet is a is a kind of like or the way things are connected and I mean, you guys in in the UK, they had more like street cameras than than we do over here. We're getting them now here yeah. in Canada and the US, but but you know, you guys were you could watch where people were going from one end of the city to the other, pretty much, right? Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so it, it that was the first time I kind of went. Yeah, it's interesting. You probably could do all this kind of hacky, you know, <laughs> stuff, spycraft, right? 
yeah if only our systems were as well integrated you know mm. so i think when you work in it you're a lot less fearful of all that stuff because you know how hard it would be to actually get it to work but yes yeah but then by the same token though you use good passwords and password managers because you know you can't trust anybody right yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> even the guy sitting next to you in the next cubicle mm -hmm. um who's your favorite uh, hero of fiction fiction now that can be any media you choose how about ford prefect Oh, so Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a very... He's not really a... I guess he's a hero. Yeah, Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide to the Galaxy was a, a very formative book as I was growing up. And so um, but rather than Arthur Dent, I think probably uh, Ford Prefect would be the one. That's that interesting. We have, a, we have a Hitchhiker's Guide sort of thread going through these huh. interviews. So we had really? one... Really? We well, one of the developers I talked to actually knew Douglas Adams and, and worked with him. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, he's a Mac, user Mac fan. Mm -hmm. And the last person I spoke to, which will probably come out after this one, he chose Arthur Dent, so it's kind of interesting that the, ah, that the one good. two shows I got. Yeah, I could. Well, you have to introduce me to them. I, I could be their friend. So that would be good. <laughs> well, you you're the one that remember, tells everybody to bring two pints with them, right? Or have two pints. Exactly. I know where my tower is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's all good. Nice. That's our favorite one. Um, what words or phrases do you overuse? Uh. Probably, yeah, probably things like uh, it's kind of again Americanisms. So things like awesome or cool, mm -hmm. like because I just I, I I I get I just get excited about things a lot, and so awesome, you know, some of that probably <laughs> I use too much. I always remind people that of the Eddie Izzard piece where he talks about uh, the use of the word awesome, like a hot dog can be awesome, and the moon landing can be awesome. So like, which is it? Is it awesome like a moon landing? <laughs> Which is yeah. quite an order of magnitude more significant than a hot dog, right? It depends how hungry you are. Sometimes a hot dog can go down really well, especially on a cold day from an outside vendor in New York. You know, that's pretty I good. Yes, yeah, I guess, I guess. Window or aisle? On the it depends on the direction. So on the way out, I'll go for aisle seat twenty one C. Um, so you want exit ex wing exit row aisle on the way out so you can walk mm -hmm. around and on the way back if you're trying to sleep um, especially in coach then a window seat because then you can um curl up uh, yeah. sleep plus i have kids and so i let them have the window seat typically so they can see the world whereas i like to get up and walk around so, yeah yeah nice cool yeah i guess i guess traveling to and fro the states it's it's a long flight right it's a long flight, and so you. Um, but you get to do the like. If you take the window seat, you can. I just sleep on the way home. Um, again, I'm. A, I have kids, and so I. Know I can sleep anywhere uh, when I don't have something to do. Um, and when you're flying over the North Pole, which you do from San Francisco to get here, um, then you don't have internet, and so you can't work. And so uh, yeah, I just sleep. So the window's great because then nobody disturbs you as they're going to the toilet and things. Is there a direct flight from San Francisco to, to Belfast or? Uh, to Dublin. Um, so that's okay. what I do. And what's even better is you clear immigration in Dublin. And so you do all the TSA stuff this side. And so when you land in San Francisco, you just get out and walk up and you just go straight out the gate like you're a domestic flight. It's amazing. I think only Canada and, and Ireland yeah. have that. Yeah, I was going to say so. Toronto, we have that as well, which is really, yeah. nice. really nice. What number am I thinking yeah. of? Uh, 42, as we've been talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Nope. Wrong movie. Okay. <laughs> Wrong book, wrong movie. Um, all right. Uh, describe the rest of your life in five words. Oh. Uh, happy. Oh, 
it's going to be content. Um, five. Wow. Happy content. Uh, curious. Um, relaxed and fascinating. Okay, cool. What's the most used app on your phone? Uh, probably Overcast, maybe? Chrome or Overcast? <laughs> yeah, Overcast, I think. All right, cool. Um, what's the one thing you own that you probably should throw out? <laughs> uh, I probably have um, free shirts from old conferences that are older than my children. So, yeah, I probably should get rid of some of those. But, hey, you know, you don't want to get rid of them, do you? Yeah, I've got some older than your kids, too. Um, so, uh, where is the question here? I think I might know the answer to this one, but Star Wars, Star Trek, Babylon 5, or Doctor Who? It's not Doctor Who. Uh, it would be Star Wars for me, I think, as a franchise. Rogue One is my favorite of the Skywalker saga, you know, in that kind of, I suppose it's not a Skywalker saga, but Rogue mm -hmm. One would be my favorite. But yeah, uh, Star Wars, I'm going to go Have for. you seen the Andor show? Uh, yes. Oh, yes. And then when you watch, like, I watched Rogue One, and then you watch Andor, and then you watch Rogue One again, it's a completely different movie. Really? It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to do that. I've, I've seen these things umpteen times. Yeah. yeah. So I do have another podcast called Spotcast, where we talk. It's it's it started around Star Trek, but we also talk about Marvel and Star Wars, and, and Andor was far and away our best, the best show we all enjoyed. Yeah. It's just amazing, especially, I mean, not spoil if anybody hasn't watched it, but, but, but the finale as well was a real tearjerker kind of thing. But yeah, it's a completely different, a completely different show. And I think they're building, they're doing a couple more series, aren't they? I was hearing an interview with, um, who was it? The guy, who's the guy that was in, um, what's his name? The one that does all the motion capture stuff normally. Oh, Andy that, then, Yes. They had, there was an interview with Andy Serkis, and I think his he was talking about his character coming back. So that would be interesting. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you seen... Like, so the, the, the director who made Rogue One just put out the creator. Did you go and see the creator in the theater? I haven't seen that yet, but apparently oh, okay. it's... But have you seen it? I saw it on the in IMAX when it came. I knew because oh. it was only going to be in IMAX for like a few... A short time, because I think there was a Tom Cruise movie or Oppenheimer or something. Yeah, well, very close. Yeah, well. So I, I took a I took I had the afternoon and I went went sat and watched it really enjoyed it. Uh, it, it was good was it because apparently it's like because obviously Rogue One kind of burned him from being that big machine kind of thing but apparently it's like all the stuff of the early um, of his work but but with a bit more budget so yeah hopefully it was good yeah no it's I mean it it, it does borrow from a lot of movies which I guess I mean how do you not yeah. right but but yeah. I thought it was a really really interesting visually compelling thing. The thing they did differently was rather than shooting on green screens, they actually went to Thailand, shot the scenes, and then put the CGI into those scenes, which is really yeah. interesting way what to was do the, it. Was it Monsters? What was his film that he did originally? Because that's how he did his first movies, was that way. Uh, was he a visual Cloverfield effect. Lane or something like that? Cloverfield? Yeah, because like yeah, he, he was a VFX artist originally, wasn't he? And then yeah. he came. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, have you ever asked anybody for their autograph? Asked anyone for their autograph? Um, no, <laughs> because I don't like. I've got people's autographs. Yeah. In fact, I have the autograph of the person who who helped build the telegraph cable. Um, yeah. But I don't like to. 
bother people when I see mm. them in real life. Um, I try I try to leave them alone, or maybe sneak sneak a selfie of me with them in the background. But yeah, I don't like yeah. to, I don't like to bother them. Have you? I mean, well, I, yeah, I have a number. I mean, I've got some. Right. I have a signed Apple One schematic signed by Waz. Um, I have like a hockey fan, so I have Bobby Orr signature right. on the wall behind me. I have a signed picture of Buzz Aldrin on the moon, signed by Buzz Aldrin. Nice. Um, speaking of awesome, I've met Neil Armstrong. That's one of my claims. Wow, well, yeah, that's yeah, a claim yeah. to fame. Wow, I don't have that one. Um, yeah. But uh, the only people I ask for autographs are honestly are is when I have a book by or an album by somebody and I meet them in real life and I have the book with me, I'll get them to sign it. So I actually I actually met Bill Atkinson at the second WWDC I went to. He was just a developer writing a photo app. And uh, I, nobody was nobody knew who the old guy was. And, and I just walked up to him and said, can you sign my badge, please? So I have <laughs> Bill Atkinson's signature. He's, his signature's on the back of that Mac. And it's also on nice. uh, that. Yeah. So for those who don't know who he is, he's the guy who, who wrote the menu and uh, the and Mac Paint and a few of the early first Mac uh, things. Right. Yeah. Um, cool. I think. Uh, well, we'll wrap it up with one last question, and that okay. is, do you have a dream that you remember? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of one that I can say in public. Um, <laughs> Those are the boring ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, yes, is the short answer. The, um, the ones that always sort of amaze me the most of the ones that kind of flip and you know like midway through and then you realize one of the things that i learned was able to do as a kid early on was like realize i was dreaming and mm. then go yeah wow. i'm dreaming let's go do something and so i would then go like let's go fly and stuff like that and then that they're the most joyous things is when you know when you can get up and fly and so there's probably again if there's a psychiatrist listening, that probably says something horrific about my character, but being able to take control, realize it's a dream and then just go do stuff you can't do in reality. Wow. That's is, amazing. Uh, is amazing stuff. So, yeah, that's amazing. I, I mean, I've had the flying dreams and I've had the dreams where I have some fantastic physical ability that, that is impossible, but you know, yeah, but yeah, I've, I've never had one where I actually realized I was in the middle of a dream. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's because uh, you can't. You sort of, and then when you're in one of those as well, you you like forcing yourself not to wake up because you know you're on this. You're on like a very. You're on like a teetering on a bridge of. If you're not careful, you might wake yourself up. And so you like, wow. I, I need to keep myself asleep because I'm having so much fun. It's that's a very. That's a very self-aware. That's interesting. Um, um, yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody who's ever had that. That really is that. I don't. Yeah. I didn't realize that wasn't a thing. So there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's cool. There'll be a name for it. There's probably some, I'll probably find it some sort of disorder. That yeah, it's a tumor, <laughs> it's a tumor or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, hey, it's a superpower. It's like everything that's like that. Everything like that becomes a superpower, doesn't it? Like, you know, me working remotely is a superpower because I get my mornings free. And so I can do all my work in the mornings before people in the States wake up. So, oh, that's yeah. true. You've got, you've got the whole, uh, you've got, the, yeah. I, I did, I did work some, some work for companies in California um, and it was in Chicago. So it was nice to have that sort of early morning because i I'd, I'd rather stay up till two or three in the morning than yeah exactly 
I think it yeah. depends what kind of person you are. I'm a nighttime person too. And so, um, yeah, I get up and I have my day to myself and I can I can have all my meetings in the evening. And it's an amazing, it's the perfect excuse for not going to boring meetings because I, I can just say, sorry, no, that one's too late. I'll, I'll pick the one I want to do instead. So, yeah, it's good. Right, cool. So, yeah, so I guess that's it. We'll wrap up. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you and find out what you're working on next, how would they, how, what's the best way to get a hold of you or, or meet up with you at a conference coming up or... Yeah, um, if you go to um, uh, guild.com slash Martin Woodward, that has links to all my socials on there, and you can hit me up um, on all, all of the socials. Um, you can get me and, and see what I'm up to. That's probably the best way. Yeah, we didn't talk about setting up a profile on GitHub, which I learned to do from one of my co-hosts a couple of years ago. So I've got like a picture of myself and I have all my you know podcast links and, and obviously the repos and the contributions I've made and yeah, so it's, it's something that people, if you're not aware of making your own profile, um, check that out. That's pretty cool. That's and it, you can I, now add different links to different socials as well. So yeah. previously we just supported Twitter, but you know, yeah, for some reason we decided to add additional social profiles. Like Mastodon and, maybe, yeah, yeah. And it verifies you with Mastodon as well. It adds the metadata ah. in. So you can add your Mastodon link and then go to your Mastodon server and add a link to your GitHub profile. And then it sets that up as verified. Oh, so that's that sweet. It's yeah. definitely you. Um, so yeah, yeah, we have support for Mastodon. Cool. All right. Another great use, great use of uh, GitHub. Um, all right. Well, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the socials, on the, the Mastodon, on the Twitter, on the threads, uh, also on GitHub. Um, <laughs> so until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So I'm definitely going to have to dig into the, I honestly haven't had my, I haven't had my moments, but then again, I haven't used Vision OS. My only experience with that type of technology has been with like the HoloLens and things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I haven't had like the wider field of view. You know, it was good when it was like augmented reality stuff rather than fully immersed. But um, yeah, so we'll see. But I've got a, I've got every other device like a Quest and stuff, and mm -hmm. I played with Hololens. But you, you think it's that you think it is you, you you've had the epiphany, have you? Yeah, yeah, I, I have had the epiphany. Um, and I and I do see the I do see the future of spatial computing that, that Apple's talking about. What I can say is is um, I did go to we we had a, a an all team week thing before I was. Recently laid off, by the way, but I had a, a all team week thing in Chicago, and they had one of the events. They had um, the 
I guess it's a quest. So I got to try it out. I said, well, I, and they said, what game do you want to play? I said, no, no, I just want to take me to an environment, put me like in a, put me in Paris, put me in an escape somewhere. I want to see what this virtual experience is like. Cause I've been doing 3d for since the nineties. Yeah. Right? I mean the 3d modeling and the stereography and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. Um, and of course, obviously all the VR and AR stuff, but, um, it was it was okay. I mean, it was it was what I expected. I've had the Google Cardboard and and I've had that experience. I think the difference in I always like to say Apple leads from behind. So it's mm-hmm. it's the, it's the quality. We're not allowed to talk about the hardware, but it's the quality yeah. is just next level, right? From an experience point of view, I mean, it's like it's well, even on the really, iPhone, how well it's like locked and how well it's doing like it definitely is good you know what i mean like the mm-hmm. the, the the framework is so i'm i'm excited to see what it's like on real hardware mm-hmm. um but yeah and then also like using it on a plane use case actually appeals to me as well because i i have um short-sightedness i can't i need glasses to read yeah i'd be able to use one of those devices for like watching movies and things while on a plane or something like that which is quite i'm quite interested in that i'm just sending you a couple of links here as well for the that might you might want to stick in but yeah there's the there's the link to the octa lamp like the 3d like the lamp i've got behind me okay yeah um there's a link to the m1 runners but then we've got a video that's going live in like I'm trying to do math. Probably in about ten, in about five hours, I think maybe two p.m. Okay. Pacific. I think it's going live. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not sure. It might already be live. Actually, let's let's click on the link. Let's see if it's live. Anyway, that's a video of the. Oh yeah, it's live. Is it live? Try that link, the M1 rack video. See if that works for you. Because I obviously have access. Because I'm, I'm I'm publishing it. Okay. But it's it's um we did a video behind the scenes of taking the M1s and rack mounting them because we built like custom sleds for them and all sorts of things. So it's just cool as a, as a Mac fan, it's cool to sort of see uh, like how, how do you take this hardware and run it in a Mac environment in a, in a racked environment for the trash cans. We had these weird like filing cabinets that we had to put them in and have all the air because the airflow was super weird because of the, like the way it works. And we had to, to get it to work, to bring air from the hot end into the cold, you know, from the cold end into the hot end, we kind of had to do some complicated physical engineering for this, we just took them completely out of the, the M1 cases and put them in our own sleds. And then, yeah, anyway, it's cool. So I'll have a look at that video when it comes out. You'll love it. Yeah, I didn't write it is out. I just clicked on it. But um, I didn't realize Christina Warren was was with GitHub. Yeah, yeah. She works Microsoft, on my team. Right? She works for me. Yeah. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah, I've been following her for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, yeah, you could have spoken to her instead. You probably would have enjoyed it. But yeah. So, uh, no, she's on my team. She's awesome. She's she's lovely. And um, Yeah, I've been watching her stuff online for i don't know how long i forget where she was before um microsoft but yeah, yeah journalist before that but then um, she right. went to microsoft and then i hired her over into github so uh, okay um, yeah i knew i knew she had made a change but i didn't realize it was a big yeah, yeah that's why yeah she comes to us i mean well i you know see her on twitter from time to time or x or whatever whatever we're calling it this week she's on threads now because they, they banned her from x they've like locked her account down well She's, so she can't post or do anything on X anymore. She must have, you know, she can sometimes be a little bit uh, spicy. So maybe she annoyed somebody, I don't know. But uh, now so she's on threads mostly now, mostly publishes that there on Blue Sky, but mostly threads. So Yeah, she doesn't pull punches, which is good. Yeah, I think oh, I do, right, great. I'll probably do follow her on threads because I've moved most of my most of my connections from um, 
X to Mastodon and now starting play around with threads a bit. Yeah. 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 I mean, unfortunately, I still open X from time to time. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying not to, I try to force myself not to put content there because I don't want to add value to the platform kind of thing. But, um, um, yeah, you know, there's still accounts I follow that are on there and then I, so I'll, I'll check in occasionally, but, um, I'm definitely finding I'm using threads more than, uh, than, and I can't even, than, than Twitter. So, um, yeah, it's all good. But Overcast is definitely probably my most, like in terms of hours, it Overcast is definitely my most used, my most used app. Do you find, there. do you find discovery on Overcast is helpful, useful? Cause I mean, I published to Twitter because, you know, I mean, I don't know, I don't really know. Podcasting is really a hard place to get metrics on. Yeah. Getting better. But yeah. um, but I you know I post there simply because I know that I want to. Yeah, I don't do there. any discovery for Overcast at all. I just use it for subscribing to the things I find out about elsewhere. If I'm mm-hmm. honest, mm-hmm. and I sh- I've never used I never I don't use the built-in Apple Podcast application because and it's weird because there's a number of podcasts I listen to that would be ad-free if I listen to a Marvel, Apple oh, Podcast, yeah? but mm. but I still listen to it on Overcast because. I've just used it forever. He's a great developer, and I, you know, I just like supporting it. So uh, yeah, it's good. yeah, definitely, definitely cool. Well, great having you on the show, and uh, thanks for having me. Go. I really appreciate the time, and definitely uh, point your your wife at that Octolamp because it's a good project to build. I try yeah, yeah. to make it accessible, and uh, it's all like clicky. Like I've done, there's nice like little inserts and things. So it all, it's just press fit. So you need very little tools to actually assemble it. So yeah, yeah it should be good for Well, I think she's more interested in the patterned lights, right? The programmable lights part. Exactly. So the WLED is the application that you load onto this. And it's a 82 uh, ESP8266, is it the chip or something? But it's hmm. these little wireless, these little Wemos D1 minis is the chip you use. But yeah, if you expose her to that, she'll be off and go do all sorts of art and all sorts of like amazing LED things. So yeah, it should now be what's good. the interface for programming it like? Um, it's a, there's a web interface for um, controlling it, and then you you send stuff on over. So um, and then you can the actual right programs you do is um, I mean if you want it's it's an it's equivalent. You, you can run this like Arduino hardware, but mm-hmm. WLED is a pro- is a framework project that sits on top of it that gives you a web interface where it's got a phone app and you can do all the stuff and makes it really easy to do things. So yeah, yeah, because I'm sure the eight year eight year old granddaughter is pretty sharp, and I think the two of them would would have a great time with that. Yeah, definitely, definitely would. Cool. All right. Cool. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Take care. Yeah, I appreciate your time.